30, uh, 26 through 38. If you stand together as we honor the scriptures and uh, read verse 26 through 38, a message a little bit later will uh, be entitled Gabriel's Visit. Gabriel's Visit. So verse 26, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through verse uh, number 38. If you follow along while I read tonight. <clears throat> and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider this visit from the angel Gabriel with this tremendous message, this magnificent truth, this marvelous gift, we thank you, Father, for what uh, we can learn from uh, this truth. We thank you for the fact of uh, the message that has been given to us down through the ages from angelic hosts and messengers and, and then from prophets and preachers that have uh, conveyed the word of truth to a waiting world. We pray, Father, that as we think about uh, this specific example of uh, this message from heaven uh, to a, a, a young teenage girl, that, uh, Lord, we would uh, comprehend to some degree, some greater degree the, the uh, purpose and meaning of this season of the year. We ask your blessing on the reading of thy word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing for our last hymn. Amen. Thank you so much. And take your Bibles back to Luke chapter uh, 1. Luke chapter 1. Let's look at Gabriel's visit for a few minutes tonight. I thank the Lord for a good service this morning with uh, Brother Gass bringing the word to us and helping us along. Had a first-time visitor this morning, talked to me after the service. His name was Mike. I pray for Mike. He's a police officer, retired now, a police officer here in the Temecula area for a number of years. Mike here tonight? I don't know. if I didn't see him come in tonight. But uh, anyway, he said, wow, he said, I really appreciated the preacher's message this morning. He said, I come out of uh, one of those kind of churches as rock and roll. And he said, it's just getting darker and darker, and it's getting more, more and more worldly all the time. And he just said, I've just had it, you know. He said, I got saved back when I was a kid in the Baptist church. And said, I've been away from that for many a year. And uh, said, uh, just uh, 
Lord's been working on me, and, and uh, I thought I better find a church where they still singing the old hymns and still preaching the old book and uh, still loving people and still got lights on instead of a black ceiling and that kind of stuff, you know. Didn't have to use the fog machines and the, uh, and the neon lights to produce an atmosphere. And so he said, I really appreciate the service today and, and your people so friendly. And so uh, he said, we'll definitely be back. So thank the Lord for that. The uh, message certainly uh, spoke to his heart. And, and uh, maybe many of us benefited from it this morning. Appreciate Brother Gass uh, helping us along with that. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26 through verse 38, we read, we saw uh, about Gabriel's visit. We've all, most all of us anyway, have seen that classic, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, and it is one of the favorites, I guess it's the all-time favorite of Christmas uh, movies that uh, have appeared, and it was made many, many years ago. Uh, there you remember uh, George Bailey uh, de- determining that life was too hard, and he was ready to commit suicide, and uh, he was just about ready to jump, jump in the dark river there when uh, Clarence Oddbody, the angel second class stopped him and or pulled him out that is and uh, and uh, began to uh, to redirect him and showed him what uh, life would be like if he had never existed and it went from uh, the town the little town of Bedford Falls uh, uh, came to be that uh, town of Pottersville and it was a dark and uh, dreary place uh, a worldly place and the idea of the film was the influence one person can have the difference one life can make and Certainly this world would have been a much darker place had Jesus not yet been born. And what a difference one life can make, especially in the case of our Savior. Uh, imagine what this world would be like if we had gone another 2,000 years before Jesus had been born. Thank God He was born when He was, and that we, as a result of that, have enjoyed uh, the blessings of life and the benefits that He has given to us as children of the Lord these many, many years. So here's uh, Gabriel coming into the, uh, into the place of Mary and, uh, uh, and giving her a, um, a remarkable message. And so let's take a look at uh, Gabriel and his ministry here for a little bit, the ministry of angels. The word angel simply means messenger. When you get to the book of the Revelation, he speaks of the messengers of the seven churches, the pastors, the ones that God gave the message to give to the people. And he refers to that, uses that same term, angel, because the word simply means a, a messenger with a message from God to the people. And so it was with Gabriel. He was a special messenger, and he appeared several times in the Bible, I think four times. And, uh, and just uh, every time, about every time his, he appeared, it had something to do with the coming of the Savior, the birth of the Savior uh, into the world. And so he comes to Mary in those first verses that we read, and he uh, comes at an appointed time. In verse uh, 26, where we began there, uh, it says, uh, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent out from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. When you go to Israel, you'll have the opportunity, if you uh, are on the right tour, to go to Nazareth. You'll be able to visit the very village where the Lord Jesus was born it hasn't changed a great deal over these two millennia. And you'll be able to go there, although it has a, an Arab section now, they still uh, do uh, have the, uh, the little area where they have uh, recreated uh, what the village might have looked like when Jesus was born there and worked in the shop of the carpenter, and they've recreated the carpenter's shop, and they're in an area uh, that uh, is part of uh, part and parcel of the original city of Nazareth, little town, little village of Nazareth. And so it's an insignificant place, an out-of-the-way place, not one that uh, 
uh, if you and I were choosing to bring the king of the world into, that we would suggest uh, that he be born in this place. It would certainly uh, would not be uh, a place like that, that he be raised in this place, that is. Uh, wouldn't be a place that we would suggest that the Savior... Uh, would uh, have his upbringing and his uh, early years and, and that the, uh, the, the one that was given the privilege of bringing him into the world would be, uh, would be a citizen of, but indeed that was the case with Mary, this little city, this little place, uh, out of the way place called Nazareth. And it was there at the appointed time that, uh, that Gabriel is sent from God to Elizabeth to give her the message. And here it was, the sixth month along of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, her cousin, who was to give birth to John the Baptist, the uh, forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one that would pave the way, the one that was called to fill the valleys and level down the mountains and smooth out the way uh, for the coming of the Messiah. And so it was an appointed time. It was the fullness of time. We read over in the book of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The fullness of time. God brought everything together. All that needed to be done was ready now for the uh, coming of the Messiah. There was a system of roads, uh, travel, that was... Uh, uh, initiated by the Greeks, but uh, really filled out by the Romans. And there was a, a system of uh, communication. The Greek language had become the language of the world at that time. And so a number of other factors went together to uh, bring this to be the appointed time. And so it was that in the fullness of time, uh, it was uh, the coming of the Savior. Take your Bible, hold your place there, make a marker there in Luke, and go back to a prophecy concerning this matter. Uh, back in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel, chapter 9, verse 24 to verse 27. A remarkable prophecy of the coming of our Savior and the, uh, the, actually the crucifixion of our Savior. But the timeline is here, what we're interested in looking at here. Daniel, chapter 9, verse 24 uh, through verse 27. Daniel, chapter 9, the prophet uh, Daniel. Now, Daniel was an old man by this time, and uh, he was one that was in Babylonian captivity in our Sunday school class. We've been going through the book of Ezra and looking at uh, Haggai's prophecies and Zechariah's prophecies, all contemporaries of Ezra, Nehemiah, and um, Daniel in there too, Daniel and, and uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all in that same era uh, with the Babylonian captivity and that. And so here's Daniel in that place and a a prophetic utterance that God gives him, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to verse 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city 
and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So that period of time in there, that three score and two weeks from the time of the declaration that the city would be rebuilt, the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity. From that time, he said, until the time that Messiah is cut off or crucified, as we know it happened, he's cut off, is, a, is that 69 of those 70 weeks are there. And those are weeks of years as uh, the prophecy unfold, weeks of years. That would be 483 years. And so from, uh, eight, from B.C. 454 up until A.D. 30 at the crucifixion of our Savior is that exactly 483 years. This prophecy perfectly fulfilled. And the fullness of time is now come. That time period that uh, we're waiting on has come. We got one more week to fulfill yet, don't we? And it hasn't come yet. He mentions a little bit about that in the latter part of that uh, prophecy. But that time is coming when the world will be held to account for uh, her sins and when uh, judgment will fall on the earth and when the tribulation hour uh, is upon us. That period of time will come after the, uh, after the rapture of the saints. And so uh, if you're a saint, you're, you're going to miss out on that. You'll get to see plenty, and uh, like uh, some prophets of old have said, you'll, you'll be, uh, like we are now, you'll be really looking for the Lord's return and wanting the Lord's return long before uh, that period of time actually occurs. And so um, we are. We're, we're anxious and, and uh, eager for the Lord to return and to uh, take us out of the situation and give us uh, that opportunity to be in His very presence. And so... That time is coming. It's likely near at hand. No one knows the day nor the hour, and no one knows the, the time frame. None of us has the right to set a date upon it. Those are fools who do such things. But um, we do have the admonition to be always ready, to be always prepared, and to be uh, cognizant that His coming could be at any moment. If Paul in his lifetime determined that God uh, could send his son the second time in the course of his ministry, how much more ought we to be ready for him to return today? And so we have this appointed time, this fulfilled time, this fullness of time being come. And uh, so that's the appointed time. You have the, you have the angelic messenger in the person of Gabriel. His name, Gabriel, means a warrior of God or a man of God. Gabriel, the warrior of God, a man of God. 550 years earlier, he had been the one that appeared to Daniel. And he was also the one that appeared to Zechariah. Earlier in the, in the passage that we began with, he appeared to Zechariah uh, at the altar of incense and announced the birth of John the Baptist. And so he's uh, busy with uh, these announcements. And as you can see, these three have a lot to do with the season at which we're in right now as we, uh, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But I want to tell you that the, the next thing we see is a very receptive teenage girl. Thank the Lord for young people who have the kind of uh, faith that is exemplary as she did. This receptive young woman, she was a pure young woman. The Bible says in verse 27, she was a virgin. She had kept herself from men. She had kept herself from uh, uh, fornication and from uh, adulterous relationships and from uh, any kind of sexual impurity. She was a virgin. In verse 34, she said, How can this be, seeing I know not a man? 
I have not had a relationship, a physical relationship with a man. How can it be that I can have a child without that? And so it's evident that she was a virgin. She cherished a good name. You and I uh, need to do the same, don't we? Proverbs 22 and verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The, the world tells us silver and gold and riches are the things to strive for. But the Bible tells us something else, that a good name, a good name is rather to be chosen. And loving favor, the favor of God, the grace of God in our life is rather to be chosen than all the other things that the world has to offer. It is, uh, it is a truth that is not uh, changed at all. And Mary understood it. She got this. She recognized it as a young teenager. She might have been 15 or 16 years old when uh, this occurrence happened in her life. And as was pretty common that uh, people of that age got married. Um, you wouldn't want to give your daughter away at 15 or 16 in our present culture. But that was the culture there, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old uh, Teenage girls were, were married and uh, were, were beginning families uh, by that time, often, oftentimes. And so it was with uh, Mary now. The Lord, uh, she's already a spouse to Joseph. She's already um, engaged to him. A spouse is a little bit different than what we think of engagement today. A spouse has, carries a greater weight uh, to it than, uh, than just the idea that, of engagement today. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but... In, uh, in Matthew 1 and verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So they were in that betrothal period that uh, is common in the Jewish uh, wedding ceremony. They were betrothed together. They were committed to one another. And they were a covenant of marriage was already in place there for them. So um, the, the idea of, uh, you know, having an engagement and breaking that and go to another one and engage and breaking that and go to another one, that, that was not it at all. The betrothal was the same level of commitment as when a husband and wife-to-be stand uh, at the altar and pronounce the uh, vows and say, I do. It was the same level. The betrothal was there. And so it was with Mary. But before they physically came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And of course, this had to be a miraculous birth. She had to be a virgin. She had to be a pure woman. She had to be a godly woman. And uh, to provide the human uh, side of uh, uh, the Messiah's uh, birth. And then the, uh, from the supernatural side, it had to be a child given her by the miracle of the Holy Ghost. So, uh, so there wasn't a man in it. There wasn't a man in it. The uh, seed of a man was not in it. The sinful seed of a man was not passed along uh, through that line to this uh, one who would be born of a virgin. And so it uh, uh, was. In verse uh, 14 of chapter 7 of Isaiah, you read, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, a human virgin... And a supernatural act of God by the work of the Holy Ghost uh, giving her child, uh, causing her to be with child. And his name would be called Emmanuel. God had providentially prepared Mary because she was of the house and lineage of David, according to verse 27 where we read there. 
Joseph's lineage was of David, and that was important, and Mary's lineage was of David, and they came from two different lines, but all uh, tracing back to David and coming down through to, the, uh, to their espousal and the birth of the Savior. So there was that uh, no question of Davidic lineage in either side of the relationship. There's Joseph, who is the, for lack of a better term, we could call him the stepfather of uh, the Lord Jesus, and there is his mother, Mary, both of the uh, lineage of David. Verse 28 uh, speaks, uh, uh, the, uh, Gabriel, uh, the angel Gabriel speaks of her as highly favored, highly favored, full of the grace of God. The whole situation was filled with God, God's grace. And he says to her, Mary, you're blessed among women. You're blessed among women. Every Hebrew woman uh, had the longing and the hope that perhaps her child would be the one that God had promised, the Messiah that God had promised to Israel. It is one of the reasons why it was so important for a Hebrew couple uh, to bear a son. They so much wanted a son, uh, not because women were thought of as lesser than the man, but they so much wanted a son because they knew that the uh, some son of some woman of Israel would be the one that would bear the Messiah. Now, they didn't know all the details and they didn't know how it would all come about, but they knew that it was a promise of God that had been in place since Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 15. They knew that God would send the Messiah to, uh, to uh, be the propitiation for the sins of the world. And so they were looking to be that one blessed uh, uh, among women. One Sunday in uh, Sunday school and uh, teacher, Sunday school teacher was teaching the Christmas story to the children and, and um, she, she got finished with the story and she said, who do you think the most important woman in the Bible is? And she was kind of expecting that the kids would say Mary. Uh, but one of the little boys raised his hand and said, Eve. She said, how, how is that? And she, he said, well, two, two days are named after her. It's, New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve. So I uh, thought that Eve might be the most important woman in the Bible. Had two days named after her. And so um, he, failed that, he failed that test. But uh, praise the Lord that uh, Mary is blessed and favored among women. But we see also Gabriel's announcement, his wonderful announcement that uh, a child would become in verse 30. In the first part of verse 31, he tells her that she would bear a child and that he would be the, the one that God had promised. And says to her, uh, comforting words as Mary's troubled in her mind and doesn't understand what manner of salutation this might be. And she's bothered and she's upset and she's fearful, obviously, because the angel returns a word to her and says, Fear not, Mary, fear not, uh, and gives her the comfort of God's word. She need not fear. It's a great comfort for any of us to come to remember that God is in control and God has provided a plan for men uh, to... Uh, be able to not have to fear the future, not have to fear the unknown. I'm thankful to God that He's provided that for us. Don't you oftentimes uh, uh, find yourself maybe forgetting that a little bit, getting caught up with the uh, fears of things, what if, what if, and what if, you know. Uh, certainly all of us are um, susceptible to those kinds of fears. Uh, what if this happens, and what if I lose my job, and what if... The report from the doctor uh, is, uh, is, a, is a difficult one for me to take. Um, there's, there's all these what-ifs, all these possibilities, all these things that we might find cause to worry about. Uh, 
you got to keep going back to uh, the truth that God is in control. And he says that to Mary, fear not, God's got it all in hand. Uh, he's got your future in hand. He's got your life in his hand. And all is well, all is well. And so uh, Mary was given great comfort. Though Mary faced some great uh, trials in her life, she had the comfort of God's word and the confidence that uh, her future was in the hands of God and was known to him. So Gabriel gives word of a coming child and also of a coming king. In verse uh, 31, the second half of it there, look down there again. And shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great. Shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Brother Mike was talking a little bit about that kingdom that would have no end this morning as we uh, heard the word. And here it is being, uh, being announced to her, uh, this coming king. His name would be called Jesus. The term is used in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew, it is uh, Joshua, Yeshua, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Savior, the Deliverer, uh, Joshua. And in the Greek form of it, it's Jesus. It means, uh, of course, uh, uh, the Deliverer, the Savior, but it specifically, literally means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Billy Sunday said it this way. He said there are 256 names given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose this is because He is infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. And certainly that is so. But I thank God it's a simple name. I thank the Lord for that. We in our Sunday school class have been going through the book of Ezra and there's some hard to say names in there. So I, for good reason, call on members of the class to read some passages so that they can be embarrassed and humiliated by not being able to pronounce it as, instead of me. Uh, but I thank the Lord that uh, Jesus is a name that our littlest children can learn to say. Pretty easy, a simple name. First Chronicles has a man named Tiglath-Pilneser. Uh, Tiglath-Pilneser. I'm glad that Jesus didn't uh, the Savior didn't come with that name uh, and have to pray to Tiglath Pilneser, you know. Uh, Isaiah has a man named Meher Shalhal Hazbaz. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad that wasn't the name that was chosen for the Savior. In the book of Ezra, there is Ahasuerus, and that's a tough one too, a king. But I thank God that our king is the King Jesus. Uh, no other king but Jesus was the cry of the revolutionaries as they said don't tread on me we want no king but Jesus and so uh, the king Jesus a simple name but it's a name above all names according to Philippians chapter 2 wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven things in earth and things under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank God for that name which is above every name. People get too busy making a name for themselves, you know, and we see enough of that, don't we, in our culture today. Making a name for themselves and exalting themselves and putting themselves in the position uh, of, uh, of uh, wanting respect and wanting honor and wanting uh, uh, applause, wanting to be praised. It's too easy for us to slip into that mindset in the current uh, social media culture. We want 
uh, others to think well of us, and we want others to speak well of us, and we want our, our uh, accomplishments to be known, and so on, and we want to make a name for ourselves. It's not the right, it's not the right attitude for a Christian. We ought to be working as John the Baptist worked and, and uh, learning ways that we can decrease so that he may increase. Uh, that's the concern we ought to have. How can I decrease so that Christ can increase in my life? How can I uh, fade to the background so that Christ is the one seen in my life? How can I be less uh, calling attention to myself and more calling attention to Jesus Christ? I'll tell you, that's something that uh, this, uh, this generation, this world needs to learn today. Oh, we have a lot of uh, disgusting things that we, uh, we see uh, people commit themselves to in making names for themselves. And uh, thank God we're, we have the opportunity to exalt Him uh, rather than working on figuring out ways to exalt herself. The Bible tells us the, the way up for us is down. The way up for us is down, you know. And the closer we get to understanding that, the more we get to humbling ourselves, the more we get down to our knees and on our face before the Lord, that's the more uh, we have the opportunity for the Lord to do the exalting, the Lord to do the lifting up, you know. Uh, and if He lifts you up, that's, uh, that's the way to go. That's the way to go up. Let Him lift you up and uh, don't make it a, a matter for yourselves. So it's a, it's a name above all names. It's an exclusive name, though. Uh, it it uh, is an exclusive name. It's, uh, it's one that separates. It is. In Acts chapter 4, and verse 12, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Uh, it's, there's no other name under heaven. There's no other place to go. There's no other opportunity. The best of the best and the worst of the worst, uh, it doesn't matter. The name that is above all names, the only uh, name that saves is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. Uh, the scripture warns us that in the last times there'd be many pretenders and there'd be many who are identified as Christ who are not. And all you have to do is just start lining it up line for line, precept upon precept. And if they say, I believe in Jesus, you, you want to make sure it's the Jesus of the Bible because there's a lot of other ones around, you know, there's a lot of other ones around. So uh, you, don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be fooled into, into uh, thinking that someone's all right because they say something about Jesus. It may be a different Jesus they're talking about altogether, you know, uh, cults. Cults all have some form of Jesus that they worship, you know. And uh, religious people uh, of many stripes have some form of Jesus that they worship. The Muslims over here next door, us, next door to us believe in Jesus. They believe that he's a prophet. They believe that he's confused uh, about being the son of God and he's not the son of God because they teach their people that God had no son. So the Jesus they're believing in is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus the Mormons are believing in is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that the Jehovah's Witness believe in is a God, not the God. And so on it goes down through other groups that you would think, well, they're identifying with the Jesus of the Bible, but get, uh, get close to it and, and make sure that the Jesus they're identifying with is the one that's line for line and precept for precept identifying with this uh, Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. Because it's an exclusive name. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So we see his position there in verse 32, the second, uh, first part of it there. He shall be called great and shall be the son of the highest. He shall be called great. Preeminence. The Oxford English Dictionary says preeminence means this. Superiority in any and every 
quality. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's superior in any and every quality. Colossians 1 verse 17 and 18 says, And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. You could save the scientists a whole lot of trouble if you'd explain to them that by Him all things consist. They said, I can't figure out how the atom stays together, how the molecules stays together, what attracts it, what keeps it from just exploding off into space with all that, with all that energy locked up there, what keeps everything from becoming a, a nuclear uh, uh, fission experiment where the world blows up. And, and you just need to explain to them, it's by Him that all things stay together. By Him that all things consist, you know. Uh, he's the head of the body, the church, and who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. It's hard for us sometimes to keep that order, but that in all things He has the preeminence, that in all areas of our life He has the preeminence. Tough to keep that in order. Uh, you know, in the work-a-day world in which we live and uh, in the responsibilities that each of us have and the payments we got to make and the uh, deadlines we got to meet and all of those things that are part of our life are uh, certainly things that have the possibility of taking preeminence and overshadowing our relationship with our Savior. But in all things, He needs to have the preeminence. And so ask yourself the question, does He have preeminence in my, in my career? Does He have preeminence in my house? Does He have preeminence in my day? Do I start my day with the one who ought to be preeminent? Or does he just get the position, the slot that might be left over if I get other things done? Uh, do we have him preeminent in our uh, school, in our thinking, in our uh, relationships? Do we have him preeminent? And so it is that uh, that is to be the case. His position was to be preeminent. We remember going through Hebrews, uh, and we, we were in Hebrews 1 some months ago. Hebrews 1, verse 4 through 9 restates it well. Being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth forth the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. It's only under the sun he said that. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. That uh, throne of righteousness, that throne of authority, that preeminent position that Jesus Christ is to have in all of our lives. We see his rule declared there that he'll sit on the throne of his father David. Through both lines, his uh, earthly mother and his stepfather, through both lines he could claim the claim that he had the rightful, he was the rightful heir to sit on the throne of David. And so he uh, is. He has that throne and he will be uh, properly enthroned one of these days. And it won't be long, I think. It won't be long. The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, thank God, there shall be no end. Oh, I love America and I love our heritage. I love the providence of God in it. I thank God for all the miracles uh, that have been part of the American 
the American history. I thank the Lord for that, uh, for that uh, heritage that we have, that we can rightly uh, take pride in, in the, uh, uh, in the nation that God has so richly blessed. I thank God for that. But uh, there's no guarantee in America at all that he'll even be around when Jesus returns. There's no, uh, in the Bible at all, that America will even be around when, the, when Jesus returns. Uh, there's no uh, guarantee of that. We do know a nation that will be around. It'll be the nation of Israel. It'll, it'll be around. It'll be around. And um, we do know that. But uh, we have no guarantees as, as great as we've been blessed, as much as we've been blessed. No guarantees along those lines. This is not a kingdom. This is not a, a government that will last. Uh, on into eternity, but there is a kingdom coming. There is a kingdom that uh, we are part of, the kingdom of God that uh, will be uh, actually set up in a physical sense on the earth in the days to come. And Jesus is the one who is the king over all of that. The book of uh, Revelation in uh, chapter 11, verse 15 says it this way, The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Oh, that day is coming, and it's not far away, I think. But the kingdoms of this world, all the powers of this world, all the authorities and leadership in the UN, the conferences, of the, all of the uh, decisions that are made that affect the affairs of the world, all of those persons in great power and authority are going to come and bow the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdoms of this world are going to be surrendered to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I'm looking forward to being there on Coronation Day and uh, seeing it happen, having a front row seat when it happens. Thank God for that coming. And we have then uh, Gabriel's explanation as Mary is uh, uh, dealing with this matter, this supernatural conception that she's about to experience uh, is explained to her to some degree by Gabriel. Her uh, question is, how can this be? How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? Now Mary's question was not a question of doubt. It wasn't a question of doubt. She wasn't saying, I, this, this can't happen. She's just saying, how can this happen? How is this going to come to pass? Since I have never had physical relationships with a man, how can I have a child with no physical relationship with a man? How can this be, seeing I know not a man? And so the explanation comes from Gabriel that it would be a supernatural event that the Holy Ghost would overshadow her and she would be given child of the Holy Ghost. And so uh, Zacharias was one who had been uh, given a message by Gabriel as well and he had a similar question and we look at it and we see Mary is, it's explained to Mary here uh, and, and the explanation is clear, it's given to her. She's, verse 34, how can this be? And the, angels, and the angel answered, Gabriel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so uh, there is the explanation. He, the angel didn't rebuke her. He didn't say she didn't, have faith. He didn't say anything of that nature to him. He did. He did with Zechariah, though. Look back. You're probably on the same page there, but look at, back at verse 18 where he's visited Zechariah and he's told Zechariah that he would have this son, John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner. And Zechariah said unto the angel, said unto Gabriel, Whereby shall I know this? That sounds a lot like Mary's question. How shall this be? <laughs> no. Whereby shall I know this? It sounds similar, doesn't it? 
Whereby shall I know this? For I am old. I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. Whereby shall I know this is a question of doubt. You see, the angel Gabriel had told him that he, was, he and his wife were going to have a child. They're well past their bearing years. They're old. <laughs> you know, they're well past their fruitful years, and they're very old. And so the angel tells him, you're going to have a child. And he says, no way. <laughs> he says, no way. Uh, his question is a question of doubt. Whereby shall I know this? How in the world can I know what you're saying is true? Because I don't see, I don't see that it can be true. I'm an old man. My wife's well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, verse 19, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. I am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. I mean, it's not as if he didn't know this was a supernatural event. It's not as if he didn't know this was an angelic appearance there in the, uh, as he's working his work in the tabernacle, in the temple there. It's not as if he didn't know already, but uh, he, he has the angel identifying himself once again as who he is. And he said, uh, I, uh, I have been in the presence of God and he sent me to talk to you and to show you these glad tidings. He says in verse 20, Behold, thou shalt be dumb. You want a sign? Okay. You want a sign that this is true? Okay. Thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Well, why, says he? Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. You see, the difference between the two was Mary believed the word of God through the angel Gabriel, and Zechariah doubted the word of God through the angel Gabriel. One was rebuked, and he got his sign. He, he got the answer that he was looking for. Whereby shall I know this? Well, here's how. You're going to not be able to speak until it comes to pass. And uh, no, such, uh, no such treatment for Mary because the angel Gabriel recognized the difference in Mary's question was just a question of how is it going to come to pass? How are you going to work that out, not... I don't think it's going to happen. It can't possibly be. So, so uh, the miracle is described, and he gives her the details of it in verse 35, as we said there. The Holy Ghost is going to do the power of God is going to overshadow thee. Matthew, 20 and verse, uh, Matthew 1, verse 20 and 21 says it this way, But while he thought on these things, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, and saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Only the Holy Spirit can take the place of the human father in this situation, and for the, for the miracle of a virgin to conceive, of course it's, of course it's a work of the Holy Spirit, and it's a supernatural work of God, but only a virgin mother conceiving a child could qualify that, could that, by, uh, by that means, could, uh, could the child be qualified to be the Savior? So God Himself superintends the process, and it, it is done. The impossible is done. And that's what He says there as He concludes, For with God nothing shall be impossible. The impossible is not impossible when you put God into the equation. The omnipotent power of God. Remember Jesus, as he's speaking earlier in Matthew 19, as Jesus beheld them, he said unto them, 
when he's talking about the, this, uh, how can anyone be saved, you know, uh, how can anyone enter into heaven, how can, uh, if, if it's more difficult for a rich man to enter heaven than it is for a camel to go through the aisle of a needle, how can anyone be saved? What's the hope of anyone? And he says, with God, with men, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But lastly, tonight we see this submitted woman. Verse 38 there, this submitted woman, this young teenage girl. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The handmaid of the Lord. She presents herself in simple fashion as the servant of the Lord. She's consented to the will of the Father. As miraculous as this is, as remarkable, as, as unbelievable, humanly speaking as it is, she's consented to His will. And that's the place where all of us need to be, to give a heart of surrender to the Lord. Uh, she started this, someone said it this way, she, uh, he started the whole adventure of Christianity in Nazareth. Nazareth. Yes, Nazareth. Why Nazareth? Because there he found a woman who was completely yielded to his purpose for her life. Great works of God rarely start in big places. Rather, they start in a small place, in some person with a big commitment. So it was with Mary. Her heart was already surrendered before this event, before this uh, occurrence. And uh, like Jesus, who was uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, who said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That was Mary. Not my will, but thine be done. William Barclay once said it this way, the world's most popular prayer is, Lord, thy will be changed. But the greatest prayer is, Lord, thy will be done. And Mary prayed that prayer. God is ready. Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life of anyone that's holy and fully yielded to him. And so let's follow Mary's example in that as we enter into Christmas season and to say, God, help me to be that yielded one, that committed one, that submitted one to your will. How many of us are still saying, Lord, I still want my will to be done. I want my will to be done. How many of us need to just bend our knee before the Lord Jesus tonight and say, God, thy will be done. Let's stand together and give an invitation. If you need to respond here uh, tonight at the altar, I want you to come and uh, do business with the Lord. It would be, be a sad thing to enter into this season of the year and go all through this season of the year resisting God's will and resisting God's direction for your life and your future. Sad thing to, uh, to do that, knowing what God wants you to do and yet over here saying, I don't want to do that. Let's ask the Lord to help every one of us to do that. And, you know, with, with some maybe in your life, it's more obvious than others, but all of us uh, need to examine our own hearts and say, God, am I, am I fully, completely surrendered, submitted to what your will is rather than saying, I want to do what I want to do. Father, we ask you to add your, your uh, direction and help to us as we uh, give an invitation tonight. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would take the word that is uh, given here by the Holy Ghost of God through the angel Gabriel and help us to see the significance of it for ourselves tonight. I pray your blessing on each of us that we might follow Mary's example. And even as she was just a young teenage girl, gave us, many of us, uh, 
a lot to think about with, uh, with her submission, her surrender. I pray that you'd guide us now as we respond to your Holy Spirit's leading in Jesus' name. We're going to sing 500.